0: Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Leah Eliana Banamuna, and also for Yosef Azriel Ben Hayemi Hall. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on our show today Rebitson Yehudis Golshevsky. Rebbitzin Golshevsky is the director of Shaviti. S-H-I-V-I-T-I, and broadcasting from Jerusalem, Shaviti offers a broad spectrum of Torah classes and experiences to enrich the lives of Jewish women worldwide. Rebutin Goshevsky has been a well-known Torah educator in Jerusalem and abroad for 25 years with students all over the world. She's a published author, editor, and translator, but teaching Torah is her first love. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do.
1: Okay, <laughs> jump right in. Um, actually, so I, I do I do run a women's learning program, so that takes up that that's the bulk of my time and energies. But I also do a lot of pastoral counseling, which is part and parcel of working with souls working with human beings is that you can't just teach Torah, but you wind up getting involved in people's lives. Yes. So, um, that also is a big focus. I mean, I'm a mother of six and a grandmother of three and I'm married to my husband for almost, you know, 30 years. I mean, it's 27 years now. Baruch Hashem. We live in Yushalayim, um, in Geula, and, uh, uh, you know, so that's like, you know, on the family end of things, but, uh, like, for example, I just now finished a session. Um, doing supervision for a program for women who are learning to be pastoral counselors, which is a totally new experience for me because, you know, it's something that I entered into over the course of almost three decades. It's something that I've been learning as I've been going because I was kind of thrust into the position of having to provide um, assistance and guidance to students and their families and their, you know, to couples. And, you know, (laughs) like that just expanded, expanded from the time I was in in my early 20s. And, and then I was asked to this year to provide uh, supervision to women who are learning to be pastoral counselors in a kind of more formalized framework. So that's a totally new experience for me that I'm really enjoying um, doing the supervision. So that's something that I'm involved in. And I'm, you know, when I can, I have a book that I'm trying to finish, but it's, you know, <laughs> like hard to get that done. And I write for being a magazine. Um, I write a partial column every so often. And, you know, there's just always a lot going on. <laughs> That's beautiful. Teaching, teaching yeah. is my is my primary preoccupation, no question. But um, the teaching in you know over the course of my years has turned into doing many many things that I didn't necessarily realize came along with teaching when I first started. Definitely,
0: right? Yeah, definitely. One thing one thing leads to another, and it's so beautiful. It's so great that you're teaching because we are all here to learn today, and I'm very excited because today. Today, people are on a major search to find the true key to overcoming anxiety, anger, and depression. They want to master their negative feelings and achieve true, genuine joy. Now, the view from Hasidus is that genuine joy comes from this deep spiritual awareness of life and an absolute clarity of direction, living for a purpose. Can you please give us some more insight about the Hasidic approach to joy and what we can do realistically to achieve it?
1: That's a tall order. uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so first of all, I'm not, I don't think that there's a uniform Hasidic approach to joy. I mean, we are of or Hasidim. Uh, and so my particular pathway that I can give the most insight into is going to be from the tradition of of. But in general, you know, the emphasis in Hasidus on joy as being integral, and it's not icing on the cake, you know, it's not an extra that it's, 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 a, it's fundamental. It's not something that you can live without. So that is common within all of the branches of Hasidus. You know, it doesn't, that's not unique to any particular pathway, the pathway of joy. But the ways that you get there do have different um, emphasis in, in different uh, Hasidic schools, right? In different communities. Now, Rabbi Nachman Breslov put a very, very big emphasis on joys on joy and also on specific tools for for being in a state of joy but like are there easy answers to being a happy person right like you know we all even even in an, in an anxiety-ridden age so the quest the quest for joy the quest for is also anxiety-ridden in and of itself you know yeah. That as if as if there's some tool there's some there's some magic that I'm gonna if I'll just push and only search sufficiently and only then I'm going to hit like the magic answer that's going to be the thing that's going to give me joy. So that so I think that when we think about joy from a Hasidic perspective, we realize it's part of avodat Hashem. It's part of my way of being with God and with myself and with other people, which is the cultivation of a lifetime of attitudes, habits of mind. Behaviors that I'm going to have to really invest in, in order to be a happy person. And I also have to acknowledge that life is not always universally happy. Meaning that there are there are moments when I'm going to have what 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 Shlomo Melach called, you know, King Solomon said, "You may tov, you may ra." There are good days, there are bad days. Mama told me there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. My mama said, you know, like there's not it's it the uh, the resilience, joy is is the, is is um, kind of a we'll say the the, uh, a heartbeat of a, a baseline of joy in a person is what gives them resilience to be able to manage through times that are not so joyful, right? Right. So, okay. So, so let's see, like some tools. Um, practical tools. Yes. Very practical tools. So I would say in, in Breslau, there's a big emphasis placed on simplicity.
0: Simplicity, okay.
1: Yes. Now, uh, cultivating simplicity in a very complex time of you know, like our existence seems ever increasingly complex. So, so stripping that away and being willing to be um, to discover my simple self is avoda. It's it's an interesting pathway in self development, right? In in development of myself, because because I live in a culture. I come from a world, let's say I'm speaking about myself, but like I'm kind of projecting outward, right? So so I come from a culture where like the more education I have, the better off I am and the more people will think of me. The more sophisticated I can project myself to be in a social setting, the better people think of me, right? Mm -hmm. So complexity is valued. But then we find that complexity doesn't necessarily bring us a lot of joy. Simplicity, let's say, categorizing that as I'm sitting down with my um I drink a cup of since I had covid I can't drink caffeine anymore. So no more morning cup of coffee. Oh. So I have yeah I couldn't even stand coffee. Like I until very recently until the weather changed and it got cold I wasn't able to have coffee at all, not decaf I mean. And so now that the weather is cold I find that I have a taste for it so I started to drink decaf. My husband says what's decaf? Like, what's the point? You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I say, you know, I like a hot drink and it's fun. Sometimes that's something that's good. milk. fine. So, so I'm sitting in the morning, let's say, I sit in the morning and I make my bracha and I'm having my cup of coffee. Right. Now it's such a simple thing, you know, this cup of coffee and it's something that like every coffee drinker knows it's so good. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's for so sure. hundred percent. Yes. Okay. So, So I need to be a pretty simple person to be able to just sit with a cup of coffee and not only enjoy it because it's a physical pleasure, but to actually like enjoy it in the literal sense of being in a state of joy from the fact that it provides me with a very simple physical pleasure. You see, there's a difference between, do you understand what I'm saying, Vera? It's like it can taste good, but I'm not paying attention to that yes. And because I'm very complex because I'm checking my mail and I'm answering my WhatsApps and I'm doing a million things yes. and I'm drinking this cup of coffee and I'm enjoying it in the sense of it it's good to my palate, but I'm actually, maybe it's energizing me if it's caffeinated, but it's, um, but I'm not really enjoying it. I'm not enjoy in it. Yes, I get that. Plus I'm not in it because I have too many things going on in my head and I'm actually, I'm, I'm a too busy a person to actually focus for the few minutes that it's gonna take for me to actually derive some real satisfaction and some real ta'anuk, some real genuine pleasure and joy from the fact that God has gifted me for these 10 minutes with the gift of this cup of coffee. So that's a very, very simple state of being to be Now Everybody likes to talk about mindfulness and okay, but you know, it's joy. I can be very, very much in a state of joy over a very simple delight, like drinking that cup of coffee. So simplicity, and let's like shift it over. So in 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 a state of complexity or sophistication, unless something is um, unless something is perfect or close to it, I don't have the liberty to be happy over it. Huh? That shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. No, of course not. I'm making fun yes but but okay but in in the state of mind which is a very common state of mind right yes. of perfectionism and also the need to impress other people and to feel good enough and worthy enough with my external accomplishments so so it's uh, most people have a very very deep seated inability to be happy with imperfect imperfection in themselves and with others very true very very true yes okay so so simplicity tells me right? Simplicity is the path of being say, of being able to say this person, like, I don't know, my child or my spouse or myself, like not a perfect person who's perfect. Yes. Mm-hmm. But this person, let's say my spouse, he is exceedingly considerate of me. He, he uh, is attentive to my needs and he's He's sensitive to, he he, he can tell when I'm, when I'm not feeling like happy about something or if something's disturbing me, right? Now he's got all his stuff that also gets me nuts, right? (laughs) But in the state of simplicity, I'm not talking about my husband. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not not talking about my husband. I'm just saying some husband. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So husband X. So wife Y looks at husband X and if, if she's, if she has the expectation of his perfection or near perfection, she'll never be happy. Because he's not going to be perfect when you do it. So she can be simple. And in her simplicity, in her state of simplicity, she can say, but this, Nakura, right? Like this point in him, this I treasure, and I see it, and I value it, and I rejoice in it. I rejoice in it. It's joy that's felt in the body. It's joy that vitalizes us. Joy is not an emotion as much as it is the bringing of vitality into all of the body as well. It's not an idea, we'll say joy. Joy is something that's very embodied. So I know when I'm in a state of joy. Can you can say jumping for joy. Like I know when I'm when I'm feeling it, right? So I need to be able to cultivate within myself the ability to take joy also in small nikudot. It could be big nikudot, could be big points, small points, or even bigger points. But I have to be able to separate and say, I don't need to see the whole thing perfect. I can also take joy and rejoice in. This being beautiful, in wow. the other, myself, in a situation. So this is a tool Rabbi Nachman focused in It's a very big focus in of Hasidus about learning how to just like I'm gonna laser beam my focus on the thing that will make me happy in this person or in myself or in this situation. Because there's for sure, there is for sure some place that I can place. I, I, there is going to be some point on which I can place my attention. And that will give me joy in the situation. So th- it's a very big focus in wrestling.
0: It's and- so interesting. It's very, very powerful because I think what you're saying, it's, it, it's almost like having an eye in Tove, a, a good eye, looking at a person with a positive eye. And yes, 100 percent, like nobody's perfect. And if you look, you don't even have to look that far. You'll see the negative. You'll see the bad points. And that's so easy to see. But if you look beyond that, maybe if you look a little bit deeper, you'll see a person's good points. You'll see. You'll see their, their their talents, you'll see their strengths, you'll see where they shine, you'll see where they could be helpful to you and to others. Like, you'll see, like, that the, the, the brilliance of the diamond of the nishama that Hashem placed in that person. And that is what you focus on. And that's what's going to bring you joy and happiness. And okay, listen, it's not going to negate all the negative stuff, we're not taking it away. But if you're focusing, on the positive that will bring you joy and and don't we deserve joy like shouldn't we have joy isn't that part of what we need in order to serve Hashem like I'm with it
1: we have also a lot of deep-seated convictions that we're not aware of that get in the way of being happy like you just said now about um you know uh about focusing on the good point yeah Mm -hmm. so so um one of the deep-seated convictions that gets in the way of this is that If I'm not focused on the negative, then good things don't happen. Change doesn't happen. Um, I won't get anything accomplished. So I must focus on the negative in order to accomplish positive change. And this is a very, very deep-seated conviction that many people have, which gets in the way of their ability to be simple and to be in a state of joy. Like I I can diagnose that in myself and say, okay, I do have a tendency to focus on the negative because I have a deep-seated belief that by harping on it, it could be because of the way I was raised. It could be because of the culture in which I grew up, you know, because of my family of origin, lots of reasons, or a bunch of my own nature. But I, I, if I can diagnose it for myself and say, this leads me to a state of unhappiness, because I'm really convinced that if I'm not focused on the negative, nothing good is ever going to happen. If I've caught that in myself, then at least I have the opening to be able to say, I'm setting that aside for now. Like, it's like, thank you for sharing my, my wonderful mind, you know, my, my old perspective. Thank you for sharing, I'm going to go sit down. Okay, <laughs> I heard you out. because I want to be a happy person, and happy people, know, joyous people know how to focus on the thing that is good and to rejoice in it. and Don't become blind to the stuff that's, um, like I said, I don't have to be blind to it. It doesn't negate it. It doesn't, doesn't neutralize it. right? But it changes me. And, and impressive, it is a very big conviction that like you get you will be more energized to be able to do the work that you need to do to do fixing in a state of joy than you would be in the state of focusing on the negative. Sometimes you have, to, you have to be able to see it with a clear eye, but I can't keep my focus there. You know, my, my, there's a famous uh, story in the Talmud about the sages who were walking, in there and there um, were two or three sages who were walking, and um, they saw a, a dog that was uh, dead lying by the road, and it was its body was desiccated and smelled terrible. And so I think it's three sages and two of the sages, you know, commented on the, on the state of deterioration of the corpse of this dog. And I think it was Rabbi Akiva who said, but its teeth are so white. Wow. He noticed the good. But its teeth are so white. Now, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'm going to segue into something else, like in terms of relationships. So my husband and I both know this story, right? It's a famous story in the mm-hmm. and and we've been married for 27 years. And like, we have keywords for each other. Like we have, uh, he's very good at getting me back to the state of mind of focusing on the good point, because if I'm, if he sees that I'm in a state of mind where I'm focusing on the negative, he just has to say to me, but his teeth are so white. Wow. That's
0: powerful. And that refocuses you to focus on the good.
1: Of course. Cause he reminds me. Right. Yeah, and I want to be able to remind myself and I want to be open to being reminded and also, sometimes I have to remind him too, you know. Right. Although I have to say, in our in the in our relationship specifically, I would say he tends to do that more for me than I have to do it for him. <laughs> but uh, you know, full disclosure. But um, but uh, it's like it's it, it's a powerful to be able to take Torah teachings and to be able to leverage them into real life situations where, like right away, you're you you have a common language of. Um, of spiritual regeneration, renewal, like of emotional regeneration, renewal, that's, I think, something that comes through Hasidut, that especially when you have, when you have your spouse, your family, your friends, your community, to be able to communicate um, these ideas with, with one another, it's like a secret language that, you know, gets you back on track, like everybody knows now affirmations, and key concepts, and keywords, and the Torah tradition also has this. Yeah, for sure. Wow.
0: Definitely. I mean, I mean. So speaking of joy, now we're really getting deep into it. I love this. Speaking of joy, we are told that we need to serve Hashem, God, with happiness, as we mentioned earlier. We need to serve God and perform his mitzvot with happiness. But why is happiness so important in the first place? Like, why is it so important?
1: Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate because I like to do that a little bit. <laughs> okay <laughs> The question of like that presupposes this the question presupposes that simcha is like again the icing on the cake or the cherry on the top or you know like it's some addition like you have this thing called doing mitzvot serving god we'll call it serving god right yeah so you have this thing called serving god it's got 613 sub compartments with many many subdivisions beyond that too and so on and and um and then you have this thing called joy as if they are separate things which is not so. It's okay. not so because the um, you know there was a great sage. His name was Rabenu Nubachaya, and um, he lived a long time, ago, almost a thousand years ago. And he and he uh, he taught um, he taught uh, it's a very essential teaching which is not conveyed actually very uh, frequently in our schools, like in 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 the education of young. Um, even Torah observant Jews, they they don't often hear this, which is really a terrible shame. So Rabbeinu B'chayet taught that every mitzvah, every commandment is actually two mitzvot, it's two. There is the mitzvah itself, and then there is the commandment to be joyous in doing the commandment, which is called simchashom mitzvah, the joy that you take in doing the commandment. And so every mitzvah is a composite of two elements, the actual mitzvah, plus the joy that you have in doing the mitzvah. And he says something that's very radical. He says that the joy that you take in the mitzvah is more important than the mitzvah itself, in a sense, because he says the mitzvah is like the body, but the joy that you take in the mitzvah is the soul of the mitzvah. So it's true. You need to have, the mitzvah needs its body. It means to say it needs its structure of action that it has to be carried out. However, a body without a soul is a corpse. Now, it's true. <laughs> it's a soul true. without a body is a ghost, right? Like, you can't have, like, the Simcha Mitzvah, it needs a body to embody. It needs the mitzvah to embody. Mm-hmm. But but the body without the soul, it's not alive. So Simcha Mitzvah, to be uh, in a state of joy, to have joy in the mitzvot, it's not something additional. It's something that's essential. It's part and parcel of the mitzvah itself. The great, great Jewish mystic of 500 years ago, the Rizal who's like the you know the he's the prime voice of all of the Kabbalistic tradition that came after him, so the mystical tradition of Judaism is very extensive, but in the last five hundred years his he is, his has been the dominant voice and um and so the Arizal who lived in sfat i mean he lived in in he was born in Jerusalem and he lived in egypt and you know but eventually he and he he died in sfat and so um so he said of himself that that he was extremely accomplished as a scholar, as a mystic, as a as a as a leader, as a teacher. You know, his, his accomplishments were so great. And he reached incredible levels spiritually, unbelievable levels. Um, he had incredible revelations available to him about understanding other people's souls and the nature of the world around him and the and the higher worlds. We didn't have a figure like him. There never was someone like him before him or after him. And so the Rizal, he said. Everything that I achieved, it's on his gravestone, if you ever go to um, Tzfar. So there's a very beautiful, big inscription on his grave. And and, and it's a section from one of the writings of his students, of his closest student. And he includes there what Darizal said about himself. He said, every single thing that I accomplished, I accomplished in the merit of what? Not that he never slept at night, not that he prayed so much, not that he fasted for years, not that he studied Torah with incredible diligence, not that he did mitzvot with incredible self-sacrifice. But he said everything that I achieved was in the merit of and mitzvah of being in a state of joy when I do when I do the commandments and and so this is this kind of lesson right to, to to share this with our children and to and to but of course you can't share something you don't have you can't give something you haven't got True. which is also a rule that we tend to ignore a lot. We're always trying to give something that we haven't got right For So sure the main I. thing is to cultivate in myself that I should feel like every single mitzvah is like and at this moment in time is an opportunity for me to bind myself to my creator in this world and for the next world, which never has existed before and it never will exist again. And it's like through this lifeline of holding on to the mitzvah, which is binding me right now to the creator of the universe because he commanded, right? God makes, he says, do this, which means it's his will that it should be done. And then I, I raise my hand and I volunteer and I say, okay, I will do this for you. Mm-hmm. And so the instant that I carry it out into action, my creator says, oh, I have a shliach. I have an emissary down here in the world of action who's willing to take my will and, and concretize it into the world of action. I become partners with my creator. And now we have a bond between us that never, ever dissolves. Unique to that particular interaction of that mitzvah at that moment in time. And that's what, that's what the life of the future world is formed from. All of those instants, each one of which is completely unique and absolutely eternal. So, so, so that awareness of the, the mitzvah is a tzavta, The mitzvah is the binder, is the means to which the will of the creator of the universe, right, the ineffable creator, is somehow I, little me, you know, like a, a nothing. I'm going to yeah. rot in the ground, you know, like in however much time, you know, I'm like here today, gone tomorrow, right, with all of my stuff and all of my flaws and. But at this moment in time, right now, the creator's will is getting enacted and brought out into the world via me. This is an incredible, incredible source of joy. The problem is that we don't have consciousness of the value of what we're doing. We can't be happy with it because we don't even know what it is that we're doing and how important and valuable it is. So once we know how valuable it is, and it's not only up here, it's like, what is this that I'm doing? Me, me? Like again, it's a joy that's in the body to feel it.
0: Right, that's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, you're right. You know what? We don't look at ourselves like, yeah, well, we can do something from Hashem. Like, what does He need from us? Who am I? Like, what you know? He can do everything. He has everything. What 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 can ah, I contribute?
1: He can't do. He can't do a mitzvah without you. That's ah. the whole concept. The whole idea is that He cannot. The Creator of the universe cannot carry out his expressed will in the world until someone volunteers to subsume their own will and carry out his will. This is the essence of the partnership. That's there's the key. No, yeah. And there's nothing greater There's nothing greater than this. It's like, you know, everybody's waiting for like, oh, a burning bush, you know, like if God <laughs> would talk to me, he talks to me, he gives me, he gives me things to do all day long. And he's telling me all day long, this is something you need to do. And only you can do it. And I can't do it without you. Like, now I have something to be happy about, you know? Wow.
0: It's incredible to, to shift our focus to that, that we are important. We can do something for Hashem. And we that, that actually, even the hearing about that makes me happy. It makes me joyful just to know that I have that capability. And so does everybody else. It's really, really incredible. It's powerful.
1: This is part of the joy that's in Hasidic teachings. Because, yes. because these ideas are emphasized in Hasidut, they, are, they serve as a wellspring of, of joy for those who study them and try and integrate them because, because they focus on the inner dimension of, of what does it mean to serve God. So now you have a sense, even a simple person like myself, I don't have to be a big scholar. I don't have to be a big rabbi. I can be a simple Jew, but who cares? I'm, I'm the same me, and the biggest rabbi in the world, and the biggest scholar in the world. We're we're keeping kosher the same kosher. We are keeping Shabbos the same Shabbos. The mitzvot are the same mitzvot. It doesn't matter who you are, and so this is like I, I, there's nothing restricting me from being in a living, vital connection with God because that's where my joy is coming from, ultimately, right? Where is my source of joy? You know, you said there in the you said there before when you asked the question about like being connected to meaning. Right. A person can find meaning in many things, Mira.
0: True. <laughs> it's true. Like,
1: you know, did you read ever Victor Frankl's uh, "Man Search for Meaning?
0: I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I haven't read the book, though.
1: OK, so logotherapy is like this, you know, like you can uh, people make uh, all kinds set for themselves all kinds of, um, uh, you know, uh, standards of what they're what where they will find their meaning. And it does bring them a certain degree of joy and vitality. Right. Yes. It's more it's more than just meaning. It's about more than just meaning. We say, In God's place, it says in in, in Tanakh, in his place is strength and, and joy. And so I had a teacher who said to me once, um, it was like the pre-holiday season, you know, uh, it was the pre pre Rosh Hashanah. And and I was, I was young, then I was like before I got married, and I was um, I was like being very hard on myself in my process of tshuva at that point. And, um, and he, I was teaching in a school and the, the rabbi who knew me quite well, he stopped me in the hallway. And he said to me, it was a very wise thing to say. He said to me, um, you look very preoccupied and you look like you're causing yourself suffering. Wow. So I said, yeah. So I said, it's the season of Chuba, right? It's a season of repentance. It's like time for me to take stock. I'm feeling it, you know? And he looked at me and he said, let me tell you a secret. Teshuva means, teshuva. literally means restoring oneself to God, right? Returning mm-hmm. to God, restoring oneself to God. Yeah. She so said, and it says, Oz kumo. It says that joy and strength is in his place. If you feel joy and strength, strength and joy from doing teshuva, it means that you have reconnected to him. But if you are feeling depleted and sad, then you have not done teshuva because you did not return to him because you are not connected to the source of strength and joy. Wow.
0: That's something to think of. Wow, that's like... (laughs) Let us let and sink in. Sorry, am I giving you too much? No, you give me. You give me. No, no, this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what we all need. You know, what? because it's such a different perspective than what we're than what we're used to. You know, we don't get Hasidic teachings every day. At least I, I don't get Hasidic teachings every day. And this is just—it's something different to think about. It's so powerful. It's like a new way to view your life, yourself, and your life and the way that you're living. It's really. It's By the way, this
1: rabbi was not a Hasid. This rabbi was not a Hasidic man. This is just Judaism. Right. Hasidism and look, Hasidic, non-Hasidic, it really has to do with having like a a deeper, more internal perspective and a more focused uh, and conscious perspective on what we do as Jews. It's not so much about Hasidut or not Hasidut. Hasidus has very great advantages and the teachings in Hasidus are very, very powerful. Yeah. I'm not sliding it by any means whatsoever, Yes, but there's also fantastically deep and joy deriving teachings also in the world of Musar and also outside of the world of Hasidut in other streams. And in other... it's not like it's only in one place. Right. Uh, certain emphases are stronger and certain teachings come to light through Hasidus that are not necessarily as available in other uh, places. But it's not like it's in the end, it's really about Torah and it's about mitzvah and it, and it's it's just about Judaism, not so much as any particular path. I, that's my, you know, because I wasn't yeah. raised in the Hasidic world. I was raised, I got a lot of different perspectives and I had learning in a lot of different places that inform my perspective. So um, you know, so so there's there is what to be discovered, and there is what to bring joy, absolutely everywhere within Judaism, if you're looking, if you know what you're looking for.
0: Right, right, right. Wow. Okay. So now you think we went deep. Now we're going to go even deeper. Okay. <laughs> So now there is a concept actually specifically now in Breslau, I say this, about saying thank you and seeing miracles. It's interesting because when something that we perceive as good happens to us, we find an item that we were looking for, maybe something was lost and we find it again, or we, we receive an unexpected check in the mail, which sometimes happens, or even unexpectedly seeing a friend in the supermarket. We are so grateful. We feel blessed for the good that we experience. We're happy. But when something bad happens to us, we're late for work, we're stuck in traffic. Somebody said something to offend us God forbid, I mean, or, or something really, really bad happened to us. Maybe somebody got into an accident. Somebody's really sick. We're not grateful. We're sad. We're frustrated. We're angry. We are definitely not happy. Um, but Breslau Hasidis says that we have to be grateful for the good, for the seemingly good, as well as for what seems like bad to us. So can you please talk to us about this concept about being grateful for the unpleasant and the hurtful things that happen to us in life?
1: Okay. So the catchphrase of say thank you and say miracles, I believe this comes from the title of a book that was put out by Chuchel Chesed, by Rav, Rav Arush's yeshiva. Yes. And okay. So I, I know I know Rav Arush, you know, and, uh, and so on. He's a very, very special person. He should have Rav Arush, he should be well um, for many, many good years. And um, okay. So, but I have not read his books. Okay. I have, I teach Breast of Hasidut but his books are not familiar to me. So I can only speculate as to where he derived this idea from in Rabbi Nachman's teachings. Yes. Now, okay, because there's no lesson in Lukutim O'Ran that says, say thank you and you'll see uh, miracles. What there is, is a very, it's not one lesson. There's a few different lessons of Rabbi Nachman's teachings that touch upon this idea. And um, the basic concept is as follows. Okay, we take it as axiomatic. It's like a basic basis of our belief that God is good and does good, right? Yes. God is good and does good. So it means, right? Like the the extension of this is that anything that happens in this world that is painful or challenging or uh, all suffering that we see or experience, (laughs) that all of this is some element that's necessary in order to bring about an ultimate greater good, right? That's the basic idea. So it says in the Gemara that um, the teaching is like rooted. Uh, it says in the Talmud that in this world we live a very bifurcated existence. We're very split. We're, we're in conflict because we make one blessing when something really good happens. We make a blessing, Hatova mitiv," that God is good and does good. And and, and when bad things happen, God forbid. We make a different blessing. It's called Dayana emet, that God is the true judge. It means that we accept whatever his judgment is, but but it's like we have no choice but to accept it. Like It's not like we would go looking for it because it's painful and we don't want it, right? right. And the Talmud says, in the next world, there's only one blessing, and it's Hatova Metiv. In the next world, there's only the blessing that God is good and does good, meaning the consciousness of the next world is that the consciousness that we lack here, and that's why painful experiences, there's pain, pain is objective, let's say, I mean, pain is actually subjective, but we'll say, let's say pain is, is uh, quantifiable, right? Mm-hmm. Suffering is the way I think about it, right? Is like pain may be unavoidable, but suffering is like this existential um, pain over not understanding why something has happened. We're feeling abandoned by God or, um, or feeling the meaninglessness of something. So, so so that's where really our suffering is. Like pain, yes, there's a lot of pain in life, but suffering is more existential. Now, in, so in this world, our, our pains are because we don't know, essentially, right? Our sufferings are because we don't understand our pains. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. okay. So, and it's the perspective of the next world where we all of a sudden get to know right? What does it mean the next world? In the future world, you get to know in what way everything that you went through and everything that you experienced, no matter how painful it was, that it was absolutely necessary and vital and good. That's part of the pleasure of the next world is to be able to look back and to be able to see that all of this suffering that I went through was really the whole time God was doing something to me that I actually really, really needed to be accomplished. And even though I resisted it, even though it was painful to me at the time, nevertheless, now I can see. And so it's like, All of the past, when a person leaves this world, all of the past has a whole new perspective on it, which is that all of the suffering of the past of life is alleviated because pain is understood now for being the good thing that it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So when I say thank you for things that are bad, what am I really doing? that's a good question i am making a choice i'm making a choice that even though i don't have a next worldly clarity yet about why this is good i am already living in the consciousness to the extent that i can that i'm sure that it is good therefore i'm already going to say thank you now even though i don't know why it's so I'm going to say thank you, even though I can't see it. I'm going to say thank you. I don't know if Revival says this in the book, but like, even my thank you can be when I'm talking to my creator. And I say, God, I don't know why I have to go through this. And this is hurting me like a Gehenna on earth. Yes. It's hurting, it's causing me so much pain. But I, I am 100% certain that you are good and do good. And I'm going to thank you right now as if. I already understand the goodness that you're doing for me. Yes. And I'm going to say thank you with my whole heart. And I have absolute trust and faith in you that everything that you do is hundred percent for the good. Is that what he says in the book? Yes. Very good. So I haven't read the book, but it must be because it's coming from the lessons in the Kutemaran, where Rabbi Nachman is very clear about it. Yes. So that means I'm choosing to live with consciousness of the future, even though I'm still now. And this is very liberating. This liberates me. Wow.
0: Yeah, I know, can, I can see and I can feel it for thing. sure. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but I'm making a choice. Right. When I say thank you for the thing that's bad, it's not magic. Again, people, you know, it's like pe- everybody wants an easy solution, right? <laughs> yes. Everybody wants, everybody wants the magic, the magic bullet, the ma- whatever it is. So it's understandable. Like we can diagnose ourselves. I want the easy, I want, I just want a solution quick. Like please help me. Okay. Right. I can understand my own human impatience. Okay, I accept it. Thank you for sharing. I used to say, thank you for sharing. Now sit down. <laughs> like, okay, because my, because my, my adult self, like my, my spiritually mature self also has what to contribute here. And my spiritually mature self says, I have to make choices about how I want to live, about what world I want to live in. I can choose to live in my place of suffering. Or I can choose to live in the place where suffering is already resolved. That's what it means to say thank you over
0: the back. Wow. It's a, it involves a little bit of forethought to understand that this suffering is for a purpose and that purpose is good. That really involves forethought because when you're stuck in that pain, that suffering, it's really hard to think a little bit beyond that.
1: So, but so, so that's why sometimes people will use it as a kind of mantra. They'll say, thank you. Toda, 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 Toda. They're crying. Yes. To-da, toda, Toda, Toda. So they're, they're, it's, it's like a kind of spiritual discipline that they're forcing themselves into acting as if they're already in this place of being able to say, really, thank you. And, and I think that this is something that, you know, I I can't speak for God, but like, you know um, but I think that this is something that Hashem has knocked us from. He he takes pleasure in the fact that we, in our challenging situations, in our feelings of being like crushed, Mm -hmm. that even in our state of being crushed, that we are like, we're, struggling to emerge from the place of being crushed. This is something that I feel that I have I, just felt it also in my own life very much. Like I, I feel that Hashem has nachas from this, that God really has a lot of um like pleasure from me making my own efforts to overcome my play my place of being crushed. And and you become stronger in it. Like that's also something you know it comes down to really small things. I'll give you an example. I have, um, I have, uh, I actually, I don't want to bring an example from somebody else because I don't want it to chas that it should, you know, but let's just, I have a friend who's going through some, um, strong challenges and she's always judging herself that she's not, that she's not, um, that she should like be able to get over it already. You know, like it's, you know, why is she stuck? And And, and so she makes comparisons. So, so, so she, so, and I'm always discouraging her from making these comparisons. Now we were out of power. We lost power for a couple of days. So, um, so she, she was very upset with me. She said, did you go, it was Shabbos. So she said, did you go away for Shabbos? Did you get out of the house? Did you go to stay with your mother? Did you, I said, no, you know, I figured eventually the power is gonna come back on, right? So I'm supposed to run away from my house. I'll stay home for Shabbos. I put up hot water. Um, we had candles. I knew power was, was out already, already for a day before then. So it wasn't like, it was a surprise. I had gas, uh, we didn't have heat or anything like that, but it's okay. You know, we managed. Wow. So, so she's, so she's like, oh, wow. I'm like, no, (laughs) it's like, no, it's really, you know, like everybody's their own person. Right. So to me, I was like, this is not a biggie. Right. But it's, and it was, and it's not a biggie but for some people, could it be a biggie? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, we once had no power for a week when I had a house full of kids and, wow. and even then, didn't feel like such a biggie. Right. Cause everybody's different, but it not being such a biggie is also not only because I don't know, I used to go camping a lot and I don't mind being in the cold and the dark and, you know, and I like a challenge, but, but, <laughs> but also because also because the, Every time you come out from your state of crush, of being crushed and you emerge, you become empowered to emerge again and again from the next time and the next time that you're going to be challenged. So so it's it's also like you're putting in equity for the future. It's not only about now, like it's only about I need to get through this situation now and discover where I can be joyous and where I can overcome in this situation now. I also need to be aware I do this now And it becomes easier and easier for me to do this, meaning it becomes a kind of consciousness. Like you say, thank you, even for the bad stuff. Yes. It becomes easier to do this. You become a different person through the process of doing this. So even if at the beginning, it can feel very, very artificial, like crying and weeping and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, like, as if it's just, you know, formulaic, you're just trying to get a schooler, you know, you just want to mad, you just want the magic to happen. But, but it happens, the magic, the deeper magic is that you can become very transformed by this. Yeah, it's like building
0: a muscle. It's like working out, just working that muscle over and over again and then become stronger and stronger. Yes. Fantastic. Okay, I have one more question. <laughs> um, and and we, did, we did touch a little bit about this, but I want to see maybe we can even get some more wisdom here. But I, I think that mindset, is a very vital component to happiness and life has shown repeatedly that people with the proper perspective and the proper mindset can be calm and happy even in the worst situations like you know not having power for example and that is a really really high level of being i mean i i'm you know i'm just saying that i, I do, we had um a heat wave i live in new york we had a heat wave last summer i mean really 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 hot temperatures And also because of the heat wave, we had a power outage. So I know people who actually went to hotels where they had generators and everything because their air conditions were broken in their their houses. So, okay, you had the opposite. It was cold and you didn't have heaters. But this, you know, people like to be comfortable. And when they get out of their comfort zone, it's sometimes really, really hard for them to be okay and to be calm and to be happy. So that's why I say that it's a big deal for some people, you know, Um, but what I want to ask you is, I think if we strive for the mindset of happiness, we can get really a little bit closer to being truly and deeply happy. And what advice can you give to people listening today so that they can walk away from this podcast and already begin today, now, implementing a mindset of true joy?
1: So I'm a big fan of gratitude lists. Okay, Get in the habit every day when you get up in the morning to write down five things for which you are grateful. And this is where you start your day. That you start your day saying to Hashem, you say to God, for this, I am genuinely grateful, and and this is a very good foundation to start with because we're really always taking things for granted. True. You know? sure. Now to say the truth is to say thank you for five things is really like a, a nothing, because actually you should be able to write like pages and pages and pages and pages on the every morning. It's it's unending the things that we have just in, just even like just the simple thing that I woke up. And I take a breath. I open my eyes. I can see, right? And I move my head from side to side and it's free to move. And everything in my whole, my body is like, I'm able to get up. I'm able to move my hands. I touch my, I touch the tips of my fingers. Like even that alone, you see how far we are from simplicity. I go like this, do this, do it right now. Mira. Do like this. You see how, how sensitive your fingertips are? Yes. It's not a wonder. It's not yes. <laughs> but we won't notice it. No, No. because we're so used to letting everything just bypass us all the time. We're not paying any attention whatsoever. And so as soon as we start paying attention, you know, this is a very big piece of Jewish belief and also to come to joy. So I feel like look at what gifts Hashem gave me. And he's giving me constantly from instant to instant. He's flooding me with goodness. He's flooding me with things to rejoice about. I'm just not attentive to them. All I want to do is start paying attention to them. So start paying attention. That's a very practical, like little start paying attention. Make sure a couple times a day, do it in the morning, take a break for it in the afternoon, do it again before you go to sleep at night, pay attention. You know, like it's such an easy thing to do. Doesn't it feel so good? It really does.
0: I really like if you sit and do it, I mean, I don't know. You really have to take the time out to do it. Like you said, like you said, in the coffee example, you really have to sit and take the time to focus and pay attention to the little things, to the sensation of fingertips, to the taste of coffee, to a beautiful flower that you see, to the sunset. Sometimes we have these gorgeous, gorgeous sunsets in New York. And I just stop for a minute and I look at them. I mean, the sky is pink, purple, orange, orange, all at the same time. And it's, it's stunning. Like, it's nothing short of stunning. And like, wow, thank you, Hashem, for painting such a beautiful sky. It really makes a difference to stop and to notice that as opposed to, okay, I have to go to the store. I have to pick up the kids, this and that. It really, it does make a big difference when you stop and notice.
1: It's not even a big difference. It's like, it's, we're not in life. We're not alive. We are not alive when we're not paying attention. We may be doing a lot of things, but we're not really living. So you can't be a happy person if you're not really alive. You're Good like, point. You have to be aware. <laughs> so the awareness, it's not, again, this is not icing on the cake. It's not dessert. It's not something that's an extra. It's something that you, th- it get, has to get woven into the way you are. And then you'll go to work and you'll go and do carpool and you'll go and you'll, you can answer your mail and you can do all that stuff that you need to do, but you'll be an altered person doing those things. And, and But you must make time for it, of course. You know, joy is, is, is like, it's a spiritual discipline.
0: Well, I've never heard that put that that way. But yeah, you're right. Joy is a spiritual discipline. I like that.
1: So if how am I supposed to become a master, a mistress of joy, of the spiritual discipline called joy, if I don't take the time to cultivate it? It's like, it's just supposed to happen to me, which is, I think, kind of where we started, right? Yes, this, it doesn't really be anything in in the soul that's important to develop. It doesn't just happen. If it, and if it happened automatically, like I have, I have an old friend who um, she's so funny. She's, she's got a lot of conflicts about the fact that she wears a lot. She likes to wear makeup. Okay. Like she's got something inside of her that tells her that a really modest woman wouldn't wear makeup, but she likes to wear makeup. So she's very conflicted about it. I'm always telling her, I don't know what your problem is. Like, Wear makeup, enjoy it. You know, like, what are you giving yourself such a headache for? there. She says, you don't wear makeup. So I, I say, I say, I don't want to wear makeup. Like I've never been a makeup wearer. It's not. It's just not me. So she said, no, it's very modest of you. I said, no, that's not modesty. <laughs> that's not modesty. It, I, anything in your spiritual life that you didn't have to work for is, is not worth anything. Interesting. It doesn't, it it doesn't, it can be good. Like it can be a good baseline or it can be a good thing, but in terms of, in terms of um, what it's worth, it's worth something. If you had to acquire it, if you worked to acquire it. So like, even let's say somebody who's just by nature, a more positive person, right? Yeah, She's got it made, you know, she's like more positive by nature. I say, no, no, no. I'd rather be the person that I am who's by nature not a more positive person and I'm not that I must overcome my my place of construction and emerge into being a, ha- a genuinely happy person. Like that is something that I know my creator has incredible I, I trust 100%. I believe and and know that that my creator values the every bit of energy that I expend in order to develop any shred even the slightest little hair's breadth of an improvement or change in any spiritual quality and and joy is one of them and it's in fact one of the main ones so So it's
0: really worth it to work on it and to like really strive and grow it's like it's uh, worth the investment of our time
1: of course, but I was like, what, like, like you say, be like, could there be any other possibility? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, of course, of course. And of course, good, and good. Every person has to figure out their own way.
0: Right. 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 That's perfect. That's perfect. I think that I think, and I hope that we have really motivated people to look inside of themselves and to view joy differently and to view their approach to joy differently. And also to actually really, really, really work on developing that joy within themselves. So um, with that, I want to say thank you so much, Robinson Golshevsky, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Robertsons. We really enjoyed having you here, and we hope that the learning we did today will be for Rafua Shalema, for Leia Eliana Amuna, and also for Yosef Azriel Ben Hayemichal. Thank you so, so much.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you, too.